0: Uh, my brother and I affectionately say that we are from L.A., Lower Aberdeen, North Carolina. <laughs> uh, I don't know if any of y'all are golfers or not, but uh, I grew up right beside, Aberdeen is right beside Pinehurst, North Carolina, which is like the golf capital of the world. Uh, they're going to have the U.S. Open there again this coming 2024. And so we have a lot of golfers, a lot of Rich people area either a golfer or you're with horses, one or the other. So you got to have money to do both of those. So I don't do either one. No. <laughs> but I do like to golf a little bit. But uh, they just don't mow where I play, so I don't play a whole lot of golf. You know, my jokes go over like screen windows on a submarine sometimes, <laughs> just like that one did. Mm-hmm. My wife told me, she said, Bruce, stop telling jokes and just sing something. It'll It'll be better for you. So I'll do that, all right? And uh, thank you for having me, Pastor. Thank you for picking me up from the airport. And uh, I had a wonderful uh, flight over here and a couple of stops and stuff. And got, a, got to witness to a man named Luis on the airplane. And Luis, he may come tonight or one of the nights this week. Uh, he's really thinking about it. He said, he said, You gave me a lot to think about. And uh, so thank the Lord for that opportunity uh, as I go across the country. I'm a, I'm a track maniac. I pass out gospel tracks everywhere I go uh, because you know you can't always sit down and, and share the gospel with every person you meet, but you can give them a gospel track, and God can use that somewhere down the road because He used that in my life, and I'll share that with you here in just a moment. I want to play you a song just to calm my nerves a little bit. And this is a song that my brother Sammy wrote, one of my favorite songs that he wrote. He walked into a radio shack. Do y'all have radio shacks here anymore or are they all gone? Yeah, they're gone in our area too. But my brother walked into the radio shack and the man behind the counter knew my brother and he went, hey Sammy, how you doing? And Sammy said, better than I deserve and just walked on in the store. Now there was a man and a woman there at the counter and the woman left her husband paying the bill, walked over to my brother and said, young man. I heard what you said when you came in here, and it offended me. My brother said his first thought was, Lady, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> you know? But he didn't say that. He said, uh, I'm not sure what you mean. What are, what are you talking about? And she said, well, when you came in here, you said better than I deserve. She said, don't you realize that you deserve a lot? You deserve everything you get, even more. And of course, that's the entitlement mentality of people today, uh, something for nothing. And and so he said, oh, he said, well, ma'am, got to understand something. I'm a born-again Christian, and anything better than hell in the grave is better than I deserve. And so he went home and studied that out and did a sermon called Better Than I Deserve and wrote this song called Better Than I Deserve, and I want to sing it for you. But before I do, I want to ask you a question. How are you doing this morning? You were supposed to say better than I deserve. I know it's early. It's okay. Is it cutting in and out? We're good? Okay. I've been having trouble with this electronic thing. You know, electronics are great when they work. Thank you, Lord, for giving me forgiveness without end. Thank You, Lord, for Calvary, Your love for sinful man. Thank You for Your mercy and for grace that never ends. For loving me unselfishly when so unlovely I have been. Every day I praise Your name. Thankful I can serve, and no matter what tomorrow brings, it's better than I deserve. Thank you, Lord, for family, for kind and precious friends. I thank you for a faithful wife. My dearest and best friend Grateful for eternal life And for purpose in my pain Helping me to realize That to die for me is gain Every day I praise your name Thankful I can serve And no matter what tomorrow brings, it's better than I deserve. Thank you for your presence and for strength to carry on. I thank you for the peace of God when trials linger on. Every day I praise your name, thankful I can serve. And no matter what tomorrow brings, it's better than I deserve. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, if you'll open your Bibles with, oh, you're very kind. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Psalm chapter 40. I'm going to preach my testimony that will get you to know me a little better. And then uh, tonight, I'm going to be sharing some things about my childhood to get you to know me a little better. Uh, people ask me if I'm married. Yes, I am married. I got married a year after I got saved. Um, I met my wife at my brother's church. And my wife, Vicky and I have been married now for 24 years. will be 24 years in September. And uh, we have a son, Adam, who's 29, and then we have a daughter, Calloway, who's 21. When I married Vicki, Adam was five years old, and she had never been married, and God had used that whole situation to get her back in line with Him. And so we thank God for the wife that He's given me and the children that He's given me, and I would appreciate your prayers for my family. Uh, They used to travel with me a lot back in the early days and stuff, but they're tired of traveling. (laughs) Traveling's not all as cracked up to be, can I tell you that right now? But uh, my wife and daughter have opened a salon together, so they're doing hair. And a lot of people across the country say, you know, you're 68 years old and you don't have any gray hair. What's wrong with you? Do you dye your hair? And I said, no, I don't dye my hair. My daughter said, Dad, you might as well dye your hair. Everybody thinks you dye your hair anyway. And I said I'm not gonna do that. So I just want to let you know that. I don't know why, but I just did. (laughs) But I want to share with you three verses in the Bible. And if you're able to stand with me, would you stand with me this morning out of the respect for the Word of God? And we'll read these three verses and I'll try to get you out of here before two thirty. We'll see. Psalm chapter 40, verses 1, 2, and 3 are some special verses in my life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's my life verse. That's my favorite verse. But these verses are dear to me because there was a time I was in the pit. I was in the miry clay. But praise God, he pulled me out of that pit. The Bible says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praising to our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Now, God says that many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. What is it that people are going to see that's going to make them fear God to the point that they trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior I'm here this morning to tell you that it's the miracle of a changed life. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be here at this church. Thank you for this dear pastor and his wife and their faithfulness to you these years. And Father, I pray for every precious soul that's in here today. And if by chance there's somebody who is in church, but they're not in Christ, may today be the day that you open their eyes to the truth of your word that they would bow the knee of their heart and put their trust and faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, His death, burial, and resurrection, the sweet gospel, the good news. And Father, we'll give you praise, honor, and glory for any good that comes out of this. In Jesus' precious, wonderful, and holy name I pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated, and I appreciate you standing. I once was lost. In sins dark valley drowning in life's angry sea going down no one to help me but Jesus love has lifted me though the storm around me rages i'm holding to his nail-scarred hand brought me out of troubled water and set my feet on the peaceful land. Now I'm free from angry waters. By faith I'm washed in Jesus' blood. I'll drink water, clean and peaceful. It flows down from Throne of God, though the storm around me rages, I'm holding to His nail scarred hand. He brought me out of troubled water and set my feet on the peaceful land. He set my feet on the peaceful. Amen. Well, as I said, I grew up there in Aberdeen. And before I go any further, I do want to let you know that on the back table back there, I've got some CDs and things for sale. And I always tell churches, I really don't need your money. But the people I owe, they need it real bad. But I have these gospel tracts back there. There's a picture of me and Hank Williams Jr. on the front. And I'm the ugly woman on the right. My hair was down to here. had the earrings and all the stuff back in the day before I got saved. But I didn't have a hair problem. I had a heart problem. And once my, this thing's making me cross out. <laughs> <My, laughs> uh, so I didn't have a, uh, a hair problem. I had a heart problem. And once my heart got right, then my hair got right, right? And so uh, these are free. You can take as many of these as you like. Maybe you can use these to invite some people to come during this week. And I pray that we'll have some visitors and some souls will be saved, some lives will be changed. And uh, also the the CDs are only $10 each and my testimony is only $5. And then I have some new flash drives Um That for those cars, those of you that buy those cars that don't have CD players in them. So I've got all that stuff available. If any of that would help you, come back there. So I'm going to take you back on a little journey about when I was a little boy. I was about 13 years old. I was outside playing, and I ran through the house, to go to the restroom, and my mother was washing dishes, and my mother was a little bitty woman. She came up about right here on me. We called her Little Jimmy Dean, the dancing machine, because she liked the clog. And uh, so she stopped stopped me. She said, Bruce, stop. I need to talk to you. And I said, what do you want to talk about, Mama? And she said, Bruce, she said, you're 13 years old, and you know right from wrong, don't you, son? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, I think it'd be a good thing for you to join the church. And I said, okay. I said, what do I need to do? So she gave me a gospel tract about a 12 year old boy who had trusted Christ as his savior. I went in my bedroom. I read that gospel tract. I got very emotional while I was reading it. I went back into the kitchen and I said, mama, I think I'd like to do what this little boy did. She said, okay, I'll call the preacher. So later on that night, The pastor came by our house. He and I went and sat down in the living room to talk, and I don't have any idea what we talked about because I cried the whole time I was with him. If he opened the Bible, showed me verses of Scripture, I don't remember him doing that. He probably did. I just don't remember. If I prayed a prayer from these lips to trust Christ as my Savior that night, I don't remember doing that, but they said that I did. So the next Sunday when I went to church, I was way back in the back, always sat way back in the back, Uh, because as soon as it was over, I was out the door playing or whatever. But that day, when they had the invitation time, they called my name, I came forward, I got baptized, and I joined the church. And for years of my life, I thought that if I died, I would go to heaven, because I prayed a prayer, got baptized, and joined the church. But prayer, baptism, and church membership didn't leave heaven and die on a cross. Jesus Christ did that. So my trust was misplaced. Think about this. I was trusting in a prayer to get me to heaven that I don't even remember praying as a 13-year-old boy. Isn't that a sad thought? And think about this. Salvation's not in a prayer, although there's a prayer to be said from your heart. Salvation's in a person. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. I was trusting in a prayer instead of the one that I was praying to. So I didn't truly get saved. I went right back to being the same little old brat I always was. I could lie to my mom and daddy, didn't bother me a bit. I could do wrong, didn't bother me. Why? Because he didn't come in. I never got saved. My heart was never changed. But I was deceived in the thinking I was saved when I was lost as I could be. And then so several years later, I I grew up, of course, and I, I started out as a drummer, but I couldn't play the drums and uh, and sing at the same time. So I got rid of the drums and got a guitar, because I didn't want to be in the back. I wanted to be out front where everybody could see me. pastor talking about my humility. I, back then, I was not humble at all. You know, there's that old song, Oh, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror, because I get better looking each day. That was me. I was so full of myself, man. But uh, So I got the guitar, I started playing some clubs in my hometown, then I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. I put a band together and I started opening shows for some of the biggest rock and roll and country bands that were coming through. Got an independent record deal with Tone King Records there in Raleigh. Things were going great, I was making a lot of money, I was playing in front of thousands of people, but on the inside, I was empty. And I thought the reason I was empty is because I didn't have a major record deal. And so I made a decision that I was going to move to Nashville, Tennessee, 1990. Now, I tried to get my band to go with me, but they didn't want to leave North Carolina. And I said, well, if you won't go with me, I'm going to go by myself. They said, Bruce, there's no way you would leave all this. We've got it made. And I said, yeah, we may have it made, but I want more than this. You see, I wanted a bus with my name on the side of it. I wanted everybody in the world to know who Bruce Fry was because it was, again, all about me. And so my band members didn't want to go, and I made this decision. So I left. Everybody thought I was playing a big joke. I left on April Fool's Day of 1990, headed to Nashville, Tennessee. And in my cockiness and in my pride, I thought, well, I'll be in Nashville two or three months. I'll have my record deal. I'll be off and running. Everything will be great. But 1990 turned into 1997. I've been there seven years, knocked on every door, played every club, spent every dime that I had trying to get a record deal. And all of a sudden, I'm broke. I'm tired. I'm discouraged. I'm wondering if I'm ever going to get a record deal. And I was playing a club downtown Nashville, Tennessee called Gibson's Cafe. And when I walked off the stage, these two men approached me and they said, Bruce, we've been watching you, not stalking you, but we've been watching you for several weeks now. We believe you have what it takes to get a record deal, and we would like to help you. And I said, well, I could sure use some help because I'm not getting there by myself, you know. And they said, well, the first thing you need to do, you need to record four songs. It's probably going to cost in the neighborhood of around $12,000 to do it. And I, wow. I had looked at my checkbook earlier that day, and I was 43 years old, and I had $43 left to my name in my checking account. And I said, guys, I don't have that kind of money. And they said, we know you don't, but we do. If you'll let us be your management company, we'll put this money behind you and help you get a record deal. So I made a deal with them that day, and I said, I'll tell you what, you help me get a record deal, and as soon as I know I have one, then I'll sign any contract you want me to sign. But I'm not signing anything until I know I have a deal. Is that all right? And they said, sure, that's fine. So we set up all this uh, studio time at a place called Studio B where Elvis Presley and all these uh, country music stars recorded. I was so excited about it. And then a week before we were going to the studio, They called me on the phone. They said, Bruce, our lawyer said, if we don't get your name on a contract right now, that we should back out of this deal. And I said, well, that was not our deal. And they said, that's the deal now. Take it or leave it. I hung the phone up on them. I said, forget it. I called my producer. I told him what had happened. And he said, well, you want me to cancel the studio time, the musicians and everything that we've got set up? And I said, no, sir, not yet. You see, my little mother worked at a bank back in Aberdeen, North Carolina. I called her on the phone. I said, Mama, I need to borrow $12,000. Can you help me do that? And she said, I can help you, but you'll have to pay it back. And I said, I know that. I didn't tell my mother that I was broke. I didn't tell my mother that I was thousands and thousands of dollars in debt because I had started using my credit card to pay my bills. I had sold my Harley Davidson motorcycle. I had sold a bunch of music equipment just trying to keep my head above water. And then I borrowed this $12,000 on top of the debt that I was already in. Went into the studio, and during that week, my producer really took a liking to me. And he said, Bruce, he said, I know everybody in town. And as soon as we get this CD done, I'm going to take it around and share it with all the record labels, and then I'll call you on the phone. And a week later, he called me on the phone, and he said, Bruce, I've been taking your music around, and they really like it, and they want to hear you do a showcase. Now, when you do a showcase, you have to rent the building, the lights, put the band together, give them free food and drinks, and that costs a lot of money too. And I'm thinking, where am I going to get the money to do that? I would sold everything that I could sell. I would borrowed all I could borrow. And then I remembered... I had a comic book collection in my closet that I'd had since I was a little boy. I had Spider-Man number one all the way to 300 and something. I had Daredevil, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four. I had the Hulk number one through six when he's gray before he turned green. I mean, I had some old, old comic books, and I knew they were worth a lot of money, but I wanted that record deal so bad, I sold my whole beloved comic book collection for $4,500. Found out several years ago that somebody got a million dollars for Spider-Man number one. Hurts my heart when I say it too. Let me tell you, I shouldn't have done this, but I went on the internet to see how much that number one Gray Hulk was worth, $49,000. And then I started going through and uh, writing down all the number ones that I had and how much money it was. When I got to about $3 million, I had to stop because I thought I was going to shoot myself, you know what I'm saying? But see what God was doing, He was removing the idols of my heart out of my life. He took my comic books. He took my motorcycle. I had been dating a girl for five years. She and I broke up. He took my girlfriend. I was doing a musical comedy show with my best friend. We were going all over the country, and it it was going really good. And then Joan Rivers heard him, and he took off with her, and I'm back in Nashville trying to resurrect my career. So he took my best friend, my girlfriend, my motorcycle, my comic books, and he was removing all these distractions out of my life. And during this time, I was so depressed and so heartbroken because I didn't have this deal and didn't know if I was ever going to get a deal. One night I had a pity party. You ever had a pity party? You don't invite anybody, right? You go by yourself. Well, where this picture was taken, the Skulls Rainbow Club, is where I had my pity party. I'm sitting at the end of the bar. The house band's playing. And usually when you walk in there, you put your name on a list so they call you up and you can sing a song, hoping somebody will hear you, give you a record deal. But I didn't feel like singing that night because I'm having my pity party. I'm just drowning in my misery. And I didn't put my name on the list. I just went and sat down at the bar. And uh, all of a sudden, right in the middle of one of their songs, the door opened and Hank Williams Jr. started walking through the door. And when I saw him, I thought, maybe he can help me get my record deal. Now, I didn't care about him. I just wanted to use him to get what I wanted. So I jumped up off the bar stool. I started to head toward him. And I had to go right by the bandstand on the way to meet Hank. And the lead singer grabbed me by the arm and said, Hey, Bruce, will you get up here and sing so I can go hang out with old Hank? He's a friend of mine. And I thought, No, you need to do your job. Let me go hang out with old Hank. I I want him to be a friend of mine, you know. But they had let me sing there so much I felt obligated. And I said, All right. So I grabbed the guitar, got on stage, and he and Hank went and sat down. And the guys in the band said, Well, Bruce, what song would you like to sing? And I said, Well... I said, Hank's here. I said, let's do one of his songs, but I don't like the way he does it. I said, I want to speed it up and kind of do it my style, and they said, he might not like that. And I said, well, he's sitting right over there. If he doesn't like it, he can come tell me. I was 150 pounds soaking wet and full of bruce. That's all I can tell you. And so we did the song, did it too fast, and the next thing I saw was Hank Williams Jr. standing in front of me, shaking his head, going, boys, that's way, way too fast. The guys in the band said, We tried to tell him, Hank, he wouldn't listen to us. And I looked at him and I went, Hank, it's the way I do it. He said, Well, let me show you how I do it. So he got on stage, we did it over, and we did two or three songs together. And then he wanted to sing one by himself. So I walked off the stage, and when he started singing this song by himself, not even halfway through it, he started weeping and then sobbing uncontrollably. And all of a sudden, the band stopped playing. You could have heard a pin drop in that place. And I'm looking at him thinking, what's he crying about? He's rich. He's famous. He's got a bus. He's got number one hit records. Everything i dreamed about since I was a little boy. And then it hit me. He's just as miserable as I am. And God showed me that day, Bruce, you can have everything he has and you're still going to be miserable. And finally he put his hands in the air and he said, I'm sorry. I can't (laughs) sing anymore. And he walked off the stage and he put his arm around me. He said, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, boy? I had no idea what he's talking about. But I wanted to use him to get what I wanted, so I lied to him. I said, sure, Hank. And we went and sat down at the bar and talked. I was trying to tell him about some songs I'd written, thinking maybe he'd want to record one of them, especially one I wrote about his dad. But the whole time I talked to him, I watched the tears stream down his face. And God never let me forget that. So here I am, I'm getting ready to do this big showcase. I'm so excited about it. Uh, My friend from the studio has invited all these record label people there. And when you do a showcase, you have 30 minutes. I sang, I entertained, I did the best I could. And when it was over, we had a meet and greet session. And then I stood at the doors, everybody was leaving. I shook their hand, I thanked them for coming. And this is what they told me that day. They said, Bruce, you're a good singer, you're a good songwriter. You had great stage presence. We enjoyed the show, but you're just not what we're looking for right now. I'm sorry. And it crushed me. Later on that night, when I finally went back to my apartment, I fell on my knees beside my bed because I always believed in God. You know, James 2.19 says, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And on my knees that night, I didn't ask God to save me. I didn't ask for forgiveness. This is what I said. I said, God... I thought you gave me this talent so I could be rich and famous. If that's not it, why am I here, God? What is my purpose for living? I really, really want to know. And I said, God, I've never been this broke in my life. I'm so in debt, I can't even think about how I can get out of debt. And if there's something you want me to do, I want to do it, but I can't think, can you help me with that, God? And I cried myself to sleep. And the next day, I went to a store... And I bought a Bible for $8. And I started reading the Word of God. And the more I read the Word of God, the more God started convicting me of the sin in my life. But instead of doing what the Bible says, repentance toward God, faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'd always done things my way. So I got out a pen and a piece of paper, and I said, I'm going to stop cussing. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop doing drugs. I'm going to stop partying. I'm going to quit doing all these bad things because I thought if I could just clean myself up, that I could win favor with God, get my record deal, go to heaven, and live a wonderful life. But I couldn't keep my list. Some days I cuss, some days I wouldn't, some days I drink, some days I wouldn't. My life was up and down like a yo-yo. I was just having a hard, hard time. Now I prayed and asked God to help me with my finances. And less than a week later, I got a check in the mail from the ASCAP Corporation. Now, ASCAP collects your money if you're uh, on television or radio. I had done the Matlock television show back in the early uh, 90s with uh, Andy Griffith. Uh, They paid me to do the show. I never expected another dime, but they used two of my songs. So all of a sudden, I pray to the God of heaven, and I get a check in the mail. Now, the check was for $181.11, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but you know what it did for me? I said, there is a God. He did hear my prayer. He does care about me. But when I looked at that check, it said, from Denmark and Canada. I did the Matlock television show in Wilmington, North Carolina, and now all of a sudden I'm getting a check from Denmark and Canada out of the blue? That was weird to me. So I took my check down to the ASCAP Corporation in Nashville. I showed it to the lady. I said, ma'am... Thank y'all. you all. You know, you people sent me this check and I was glad to get it. Just don't know why I got it. Thought maybe you could explain that to me. And she looked at me and she said, are you a member with us? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, are your songs copywritten? Or are they published? Or are they cataloged with us? I said, no, ma'am. She said, then we don't owe you a dime. I said, well, why did I get that check? She said, I have no idea. And in my heart, as lost as I was, that day I looked up and I said, God sent me that check. Then she punched some numbers in the computer, and she said, oh, my goodness. She said, Bruce, there's a lot of money in here for you, but you can't touch it. I said, why not? (laughs) She said, because you don't have your paperwork in order. So she helped me get all my paperwork in order, and she said, look, we're going to submit this. I'll tell them your situation. You're going to get some money. I just don't know how much. In January of 1998, three major things happened in my life. The first one is I got a check from ASCAP. They went all the way back to the first time they aired that show and paid me up to that date. And it was for thousands of dollars. And usually, if Bruce Fry had money in his pocket, woo! life's a gas and everything's great. Because I love money. You see, I wanted to be rich and famous. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not, but the love of it is, and I love money. But all of a sudden, God had taken the love of money out of my heart. I held that check up to heaven, and I said, God, thank you, this is really going to help me. But why am I still so miserable, God? The second thing happened in January of 1998. On January the 21st, the owner of this club, where this picture was taken, was on his way to work at 4.30 in the afternoon. Two men jumped him and robbed him, (laughs) killed him. I went to his funeral a few days later. It was a graveside funeral. A Catholic priest was performing that funeral. And he got up there and he started saying things like this. Well, our friend was not a religious man. He was not a church-going man, but he was a nice man. And he had such a good heart, and he did a lot of good things for people. I'm sure he's in a better place. But I'd been reading the Bible where it says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. You keep reading down to verse 12, it says, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. And that doesn't mean you can't be do good things or be nice to people. It means your goodness will never get you to God. That's why you need His goodness, His righteousness applied to your life. And they kept talking about Him having such a good heart, and I thought I had a good heart. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And at that funeral, God was revealing to me personally, Bruce, you're not as good as you think you are, and your heart is wicked. Then everybody got in a line at the end, and they went by the casket, and there was a shovel there, and they took the shovel and threw some dirt in the hole and moved on. I had never done that, never seen it done, but I didn't want to be an oddball, so I took my turn. And when I threw my shovel full of dirt down in that hole, As I watched it fall, there was a wave of fear that came over me like I've never felt in my life. And I wonder where my friend was, and I wonder where I was going. I went back to my apartment, and I opened my Bible, and I got my list out, and I said, God, I'm not reading enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not keeping my list good enough because I was trying to do it all by myself. I was trying to work my way to God. And Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saves us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I was so brokenhearted because my friend had died and I was just so confused. I called my brother Sammy on the phone that night. My brother Sammy got saved in 1977 in Sweetwater, Texas. He said, I found the living water in Sweetwater, amen. (laughs) I didn't know it, but my brother had been praying for me at that time. My brother had been praying for me for 21 years to be saved. Not only was he praying for me, his family was praying for me, his church family, and he was a youth pastor, and everywhere he went around the country singing and preaching to young people, he would beg people to pray for his brother Bruce. Now we're asking people to pray for our younger brother Dale. And so I didn't know all these prayers were going up on my behalf. And when I called Sammy on the phone, I said, Sammy, my my friend was just murdered and just got back from his funeral. My career's at a standstill. And I said, I've been reading the Bible. I'm trying to change some things in my life. And I just wanted to call and talk to you, brother. And Sammy talked to me on the phone that night, prayed for me. And then a few days later, I got a letter in the mail from my brother. And it was like a hug from North Carolina to Tennessee. And in that letter, he said, Bruce, I love you, but I don't love you like God loves you. And he shared the gospel in there, and he put some little chick uh, comic book gospel tracks because he knew I was a comic book kid growing up. He said, my kids really like these. I thought you might enjoy them. And so all this is going on. I found out later that not only was my brother praying for me to get saved, that was my greatest need. Secondly, he was praying I would not get a record deal in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, everybody in Nashville was patting me on the back saying, Bruce, just hang in there. You're next in line to get a deal. And I said, yeah, everybody's telling me that except for the record label people. But Sammy was praying I'd get saved, that I wouldn't get a record deal, and I would not marry the Mormon girl I'd been dating for five years because he didn't want me to get into a false religion. And so while all this was going on, my band members and I would go to Wintergreen, Virginia. It's a ski resort. Every year. So I would drive from Nashville to Raleigh, North Carolina, pick up my old band, and we'd go to Wintergreen to play all week long. We'd play Tuesday through Saturday. And I'm ashamed to tell you this this was my lifestyle. It's just the way it was. We'd play for four hours on Tuesday night, then party all night, sleep during the day. It was a cycle I was in. But this year was different. My band members are doing the same old thing, but I'm in there reading the Bible. I'm reading, uh, trying to keep my list. I'm reading those Chick Tracks. I'm reading my brother's letter. And I did really good all week. And a friend of mine was getting married on Saturday. So I had to leave Wintergreen, drive back to Raleigh, three and a half hours, sang one song in his wedding. I was packing up my guitar, getting ready to head back to do my last night with my band. And the preacher that performed that wedding walked up to me and asked me this question. He said, Bruce, he said, I sure enjoyed your singing today. He said, have you ever been born again, son? Have you ever been saved? And I started crying. And I said, Preacher, I thought I did that when I was a 13-year-old boy. I said, But I don't think I'm saved, but I'm reading the Bible, and I'm trying to keep this list, and I don't know what to say. I'm doing the best I can. He said, Bruce, you can do the best you can and die and go to hell. He said, God sent His best for you. You need to trust Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And I said, Yeah, I've been hearing about that. He was a musician God had saved and called to preach, and he shared his testimony with me, prayed for me. I drove back to Wintergreen. My band members gathered around me that night. They said, Bruce, this is our last night together. You've been here with us all week. You're not partying with us. Don't you love us anymore? I said, yeah, I love you guys, but I'm trying to change my life. Did you hear what I said? I'm trying to change my life. I said, i tell you what. To celebrate our last night, I'll have one drink with you, but don't ask me to have any more. And they said, okay. So I had one, which led to another, which led... Next thing you know, I'm right back at the house. The party's raging all night long. And I woke up that Sunday morning so ashamed about what I'd done the night before. I got on my knees and I said, God, I don't want to do this anymore, but I can't quit. God, please help me. My brother had invited me to come and hear him preach. So I woke up all my band members, drove them three and a half hours to Raleigh, dropped them off, then I went to my brother's church, and a lot different from this church in North Carolina, we call it a shotgun church. Very, very long, long, whoa, the dim lighting and stuff. And when I got there, the place was full of people. They were all standing up singing a song, so I slipped in the back hoping nobody would see me. My brother didn't know I was there, and he preached the Word of God. And at the end of the service, he said, Hey, we're getting ready to have an invitation. And if you're here and you're not sure if you died right where you're standing that you'd go to heaven, why don't you step out, come down here? We'll open the Bible and show you how to be saved. And I was back there in the back. My hair was hanging in my face. I was weeping. I was crying. I was shaking. And under my breath, I said, Sammy, I can't do that. I'm Bruce Fry. I'm the hometown boy that went to Nashville to be a star. Everybody knows me. My name's in the papers all the time. And I was so full of pride that I didn't move. Then my brother left the pulpit and he walked down here like this. And he said, folks, I know it's late. I know it's time to go home. But I believe there's somebody here who needs Christ. And I don't know who you are. But we're going to extend this invitation and give you time to come. I'm back there going, no, don't extend it, end it. Let me out of here, I'm about to die. Then he realized nobody was coming forward. And he said, well, we're going to end the service. But if you're not sure if you died right where you're standing, would you at least do one thing for me? Raise your hand and let me pray for you. And my hand shot up in the back. And I looked back and I said, and Sammy said, I see your hand and I'm going to pray for your soul. Not knowing he was praying for his younger brother. I ran out of that church and from that church to my mom and dad's house where I was staying that night was 15 miles. I cried the whole way. And when I walked in the door, guess what? My little mama was washing dishes. She was always washing dishes. And I stood behind her. I was still weeping and I was crying. She turned around and she said, are you all right, son? I said, no, mama, I'm not all right. She said, can I help you? I said, I don't think so, mama. I said, but you can do one thing for me. She said, what's that? I said, mama, I've had a filthy mouth around you all these years. I'm so sorry about that. Will you forgive me for that, mama? She said, oh, don't worry about that. Bruce, I got used to it after a while. I said, you shouldn't have had to get used to hearing filth like that, Mom. You didn't teach me to talk like that. She said, okay, son, I I forgive you. And I said, thank you, Mama. I went back into the room where I grew up as a little boy, cried myself to sleep. And my brother Sammy called me on the phone. He said, have you left for Nashville yet? The next day. I said, no, getting ready to. And he said, can I buy you some lunch? I said, sure. So we met at a restaurant, ordered our food. He started talking to me about the Lord. The tears started coming again. And when the food got there, I was crying so hard I couldn't even eat. And I looked around and I said, Sammy, I'm embarrassed. I feel like everybody's staring at me. Can we just go outside? And we went and sat down in his car and he opened the Bible. He asked me this question. He said, Bruce, could you admit to God that you are a sinner? I said, oh yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. Yes, I could admit to God that I'm a sinner. He said, well, that's right, because the Bible says, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He said, Bruce, do you realize because you're a sinner that you deserve to go to hell? I said, I don't get that at all. I said, what are you talking about? He showed me Romans 6.23 where it says, the wages of sin is death. That word wages means payment. That word death is not just physical death, but spiritual death. Separation from God forever in a place called the lake of fire. And he said, Bruce, he said, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. He said, if you work a job and you get paid wages, you deserve those wages when you do the work, right? I said, yes. He says, well, God says you deserve hell because you do the sin. I said, well, I deserve hell then, brother, because I've done the sin. He said, that's right, Bruce. He said, you deserve hell I deserve hell. If we all got what we deserve. we'd all be in hell right now. He said, but the verse doesn't end there. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, even though we deserve hell, we don't have to go to hell because Jesus loved us so much that He left heaven and took our hell on the cross for us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commendeth or demonstrated or showed us His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then He showed me Romans 10, 9 and 10, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Then He showed me Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So how do you call on God? God, if you're up there, save me. No, the Bible says you call on Him in repentance and faith. Repentance is very simple. It means you change your mind. Number one, you change your mind about yourself. You're not good enough to get to heaven on your own. You can't do good enough to get to heaven on your own. Secondly, you change your mind about your sin. Realize your sin is against the holy and righteous God. And then thirdly, you change your mind about your Savior and realize Jesus Christ is your only hope for heaven because He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And after he explained all this to me, I understood it. He said, Bruce, would you like to bow your head and heart right now and put your trust and your faith in Christ and Christ alone? Faith is the key that unlocks the door to heaven. He said, you need to trust Jesus Christ Not not in a prayer, not in a baptism, not in a church membership, not in a denomination. He said, you need to trust trust Christ and Christ alone. Would you like to do that right here in this car, right now? And weeping, shaking, and crying, I said, no, Sammy, not right now. He said, okay. And he prayed for me. And I drove back to Nashville. And a week later, I was in my apartment one night. And I'd ordered a movie to watch and popped me some popcorn, and this will tell my age. It was a VHS deal. <laughs> and I put it in the player. But before I pushed play, I said, God, I don't want to be dishonoring to You. or But I don't want to think about You tonight. I don't want to think about heaven or hell or the Bible. I feel like my brain's on fire. I just want to watch a movie and relax. I hope that's okay with You, God. And I pushed play. And in this movie, there was a main character in there. You just fell in love with this guy, man. He was so nice. Did all these wonderful things for people. And at the end of the movie, he died. When that movie stopped playing, I started crying. And out loud, I said, if that had been a real person, he wouldn't have been going to heaven. There was nothing in there about him trusting Christ. And I knew that's what I needed to do. And I wept my way back to my bedroom and fell on my knees, 43 years old. I looked up to heaven, and I don't remember everything I said, but the first thing I said was this, God, I don't understand it all, but I'm miserable, and I know I need you in my life, and God, I'm sorry for everything I've ever done that was displeasing to you. God, please forgive me. And that night, I quit trying to keep a list, and I put my trust and my faith in Christ and Christ alone. And I felt like the Atlas, man. It was like the world just rolled off my back. I didn't know what that was then, but I know now it's the peace of God which passeth all understanding. And I looked at my clock, and it said 1230, and I reached over and grabbed a pen, and I wrote these words down. I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ at 1230 because I didn't want to ever forget it. And before I got off my knees, I said, God, from this day forward, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. You lead and I'll follow you the rest of my life. I crawled into the bed still weeping and crying. And I said, God, I hope I said all the right words to you. But I realize now it's not the words you say that save you, but the attitude of your heart as you pray. Because only God can see your heart. So many years I trusted in a prayer. But that night I trusted in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. I called my brother on the phone to tell him about the decision that I would made. and He said when he hung the phone up, he ran around the house. He screamed and he yelled and fell on his face and thanked God. And he got up and took another letter. He said, I had a Baptocostal fit. Hallelujah. <laughs> then he called me back and he said, when are you coming back to North Carolina? I said, I'm planning on coming this weekend. So I went back home to North Carolina. My brother Sammy and his wife Sandra and kids took me out, bought me a steak dinner and a birthday cake to celebrate my born-again birthday. And I was getting ready to blow the candle out. I said, Sammy, do you remember a couple of Sunday nights ago when you preached a message and you had an invitation and then you extended the invitation and then you prayed for somebody who raised their hand in the back of the church? Do you remember that night, brother? And he said, Bruce, I'll never forget that night. I said, Sammy, that was me. That was your brother that raised his hand. He said, you got to be kidding me. This is the first song that I wrote after I got saved. A young man, a bottle in his hand Not too long ago, that was me Every night, a Saturday night Dim hotel lights Not too long ago, that was me That was me who had strayed, Confused and afraid, Counting all the cost, that was me. Kneeling by his bedside, Tears flowing from his eyes, Not too long ago, that was me. Jesus Christ led him in, forgiving all his sin, not too long ago, that was me, that was me who had strayed, confused and afraid, counting all the cost, that was me. A friend approached and said, I heard you found the Lord. I replied, He wasn't lost, that was me. My Savior wasn't lost, that was me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? I'm going to do a invitation song here in a moment but before I do I want to ask you a question if you were to die right where you're sitting are you sure you go to heaven maybe you're like me you have a doubt or a question about that nobody's looking around but just between me and you and God you'd say Bruce pray for me because if I died right this second I'm not sure I'd go to heaven would you raise your hand let me pray for you God bless you God bless you